Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning. I had a friend in elementary school uh, that would always get in trouble because he would take chicken nuggets from the cafeteria and just put them in his pocket and uh, take it back to class for a little snack. So in honor of him, I'm going to have a couple bites of the sandwich this morning. That's okay. Skip breakfast. Listen, it's been a long morning already. It's 1055. It's basically lunchtime or brunch, right? That's what people do on Sundays. My name's Morgan. Um, For those of you I haven't met yet, I get to be one of the ministers here on staff at PCC. And there's just something about a sandwich, right? Like, listen, I grew up in the South, okay? And I've been lucky enough to, like, travel to a few places here and there. I feel like I know good food. I feel like when I have good food, I know good food. But the more I have good food and know good food, the more I realize, man, I love sandwiches. Right? There's something beautiful about taking multiple things that are totally good on their own. Ham, good on its own. Cheese, good on its own. But you put them together and they get better. Right? You, you just make this, this like combination of all these weird things and you put them together and put it between bread and it blows your mind. Right? Take one more bite. My mom will be so mad if she saw how many people I'm talking to with my mouth full of food. So when she comes for Easter here in a couple weeks, promise me to not say anything. All right? Can we make that deal? We have that mutual agreement. Awesome. Awesome. I'll give you all a quarter. Ah, probably not. There's a lot of you in here. Uh, anyway. The reason for the sandwich is this. This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. We're going to be kind of in the front half of that chapter. And Mark makes himself a sandwich. Not literally, but with his words. Mark makes a sandwich with his words. Because we'll find in Mark chapter 6, he has two different stories. Both stories good on their own. Both have plenty to challenge us on their own. Both have plenty for us to glean and apply to our lives on their own. But the cool thing about a sandwich is you take things that are good separately and you put them together and they get better. A helpful way to think about this moving forward this morning is this. Mark has story A and story B. This is the front half of Mark chapter 6. Story A and story B. And Mark could tell you all of story A from beginning to end, take a breath, and then tell you all of story B from beginning to end. But he doesn't. What we'll actually find is Mark does this. He tells you the first part of story A at the beginning, and then stops about halfway through, and then he just makes this jump to this totally different story, tells you all of it from beginning to end, and then picks up on the tail end of story A. So the questions that come to our minds, what are these stories? Why did Mark choose to put them uh, in that sandwich configuration? Why not just present them as themselves? Uh, Every week, we have been seeking to answer the same question as we read through the book of Mark. And that question is this, who is Jesus? Relatively simple question. But up to this point, we have seen Jesus is someone who has the power to heal the sick, to calm the storm, to cast out demons. 
He's someone who teaches about the kingdom of God, and he even has the audacity to say that he can forgive sins. Big deal. So Mark, in my opinion, makes a pretty well-established argument for who Jesus is. So this morning, if I may, uh, could we ask a different question? Could we seek to answer a different question than who is Jesus? And that different question is this. How does who Jesus is change who we are? Do the things that we have seen Jesus do and the attributes that have been given to him have enough power to change who we are and how we live our life, to change who you are and how you live your life. Because if I'm honest with you, Mark sure thinks that. Mark thinks that who Jesus is has so much power to change who we are, that's actually the whole reason he made this sandwich in the first place. Because Mark believes that Jesus changes our life so much so, he wants to remind you this morning through chapter 6 of his gospel That as a follower of Jesus, you are sent to speak and to serve. You are sent to speak and to serve. We're going to find no matter who you are, where you came from, where you're going, or how nervous you are about getting there, you are sent to speak and to serve. So we're going to read together in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to pick up in verse 6. I'll have the words up here. I'll read the words in white if you all would read the words in yellow, please. Then Jesus went around, teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. So here we have Jesus, and he's just bopping around from town to town, teaching. We've seen him do this in Mark before. He's using parables to teach people about what the kingdom of God is, how life in the kingdom of God looks like. So this isn't uncommon. By any stretch of the imagination, totally normal thing for Mark to be writing here in chapter 6. But Mark does have something uncommon in chapter 6, and that's that the first time ever Jesus is sending people out to be representatives of himself and his message. For the first time ever, Jesus is sending out other people to teach. We know that there wasn't like newspapers, internet, magazine, television, all that kind of stuff, right? So this was a common thing for teachers to send out their students for the purpose of sharing kind of whatever message, whatever news they had. And if we look back to Mark chapter 3, we find that Jesus appointed his 12 so, and I quote, that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. This was always a part of Jesus' plan. As soon as Jesus called these 12 to himself, as soon as they decided to start following Jesus, the plan was not for them to stay close and stay safe, but the plan was for them to be sent out. It's always the plan. And Mark knew that this was always Jesus' plan, so he hides something for us in plain sight. It's something we've already read. Verse 7, he says this, says, he began to send them out two by two. If you look at this kind of like literarily, I suppose, uh, he began to doesn't make a ton of sense. It's kind of clunky and weird. If we were writing this, we, I at least would naturally write, he sent them out two by two. That makes a lot more sense. It flows easier. But Mark did that for a reason. 
By writing, he began to send them out, Mark is letting us know that this is just the beginning. That being sent out by Jesus was not a one-time thing for the twelve. There was not this big event, coming-of-age, rite-of-passage party where you were sent out and you're one time and as you completed, you came back and you never were gone again. No, this was just the beginning. The plan for Jesus' followers was and always will be to send people out day by day. That was true of them then and it is true of you now. We are sent day by day to speak and to serve. I know a story of a church that was doing a VBS. Uh, this was not our church, by the way. And uh, they, in the missions time, they were teaching kids about an organization that the church supported in Botswana. Botswana is in southern Africa, and they have uh, consistent flooding in Botswana. And because it's so consistent, some of the, the, the more volatile ones can get pretty awful, catastrophic. So they were teaching the kids at this VBS in the States about how the kids in Botswana could legitimately, in the blink of an eye, lose everything that they've ever had. House, toys, food, family members, it's all gone, right? So that is, they were telling the kids, that's why we're taking up clothes and toys and all that kind of stuff. And they had this idea, hey, what if our kids here at VBS made these cards that then as we sent the supplies over to Botswana, those, those cards could be given to the kids, and then those kids could then in turn write cards, send them back, kind of like a pen pal situation. So they did just that. They passed out the paper and the markers and the crayons, and the kids did exactly what you would expect them to do. We got kids in here. What would you put on that? Smiley faces, hearts, rainbows, baseballs, basketballs, dogs, cats, your house, your family, all that kind of stuff, right? The kids went crazy. They were awesome. And as they were collecting them, they noticed that one girl had written on hers. And they tried to instruct, hey, just, just draw pictures, because the kids in Botswana aren't necessarily reading English at a super-duper high level, right? Uh, but this, this girl had written on theirs, and they're thinking, okay, well, let's, let's read it anyway. Let's just see what it said. So they pull up her card, and it says, Dear kid in Botswana, I'm sorry you have to deal with floods. That sounds hard. Maybe you should move to California or Hawaii, and then I could come talk with you about Jesus, and we could play. If only it was that easy, right? Hey, God, I would love to join the mission you have for my life at this place, with these people, in this car, with this amount of money, at this time, right? I would love to set the stipulations for the mission of Jesus in my life. But that's not the reality of things. We don't get to set the stipulations, but it's easy to fall into the trap that we do. That, that all the things, all the boxes have to be checked. There's a word that gets used a lot in church world, uh, the word missionary. And when it's used, um, it often refers to a, a group of people that have a legitimate call from God to pack up everything that they've got, that they've ever known, and move to a different country, a different culture, a different like side of the earth for the purpose of speaking and serving. And those people are incredible. I have some friends that are doing that and I love them dearly. However, if we're using the word missionary and we're only talking about that group of people, we have an incomplete view of what that word actually means. Because the reality is the word missionary actually talks about all followers of Jesus. 
So the reality is, if you follow Jesus, you are a missionary. You are one who is sent out. You are one who has a mission. You are sent to speak and to serve. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that all the boxes have to be checked. We're all sent somewhere. And we're all sent to different places. Maybe yours is a school system, medical field. You're sent to your kids. Uh, you're sent to your neighborhood. The people at your gym. The guy in the cubicle next to you in the office. Or maybe the place you're sent is in a different hemisphere and you're just not there yet. Don't believe the lie that you have to be a certain age or a certain skill set or live in a certain place to accept the fact that a part of you being fully alive in Jesus means that your life is on mission. And now this mission, um, there's two parts to it, speaking and serving. And one of those parts is far more enticing than the others if we're honest with ourselves. There's one that we're going to naturally probably draw to more consistently as a crowd than the other. One of the things I love most about Plainfield Christian Church is that we have a legitimate service culture here. We have some servants here. We have people who are willing to give up all that they've got, time, energy, money, whatever it is, give that up for the sake of the kingdom, right, and the work of Jesus in our community. And that's an incredible thing that I thank God for daily. And I believe we're even growing in that. I think we're learning to serve deeper, and some of us are serving in new areas, kind of stretching new muscles, so to speak. Some of us are serving for the first time ever, which is incredible. It's a beautiful thing we have here. But that's not the whole picture of our mission. We're more drawn to service. Yeah, I've got an hour on a Saturday morning. I would love to come help you. That one's easy. Yeah, I got $50 I could give to whatever cause. Oh, yeah, sure, perfect, awesome. And then it's, it's kind of easy to wipe your hands clean of that. But the second part of our mission is where it gets a little, like, squirrely. Feel free to, like, squirm in your seats just a bit. Because it's not just serving. It's also speaking to others about Jesus and talking about Jesus to other people is hard, and it makes people nervous. It makes me nervous. One of my biggest fears in life, legitimately, this is not a joke whatsoever. One of my biggest fears in life is being in an elevator with one stranger. <laughs> You're laughing. I'm serious. I hate it. You get like three of them. I'm good. I can kind of sit in the background, like in the corner and wait my turn. One it drives me wild. It stresses me out so much. So I'm not naturally gung-ho about having one-on-one -on -one conversations about faith with people that I haven't known for a very long time. And I would imagine there's at least one more person in here like that. Or maybe you feel like you need to know a certain amount about the Bible before you can ever talk to somebody about Jesus. Or maybe you, you believe that you're not eloquent enough to hold any spiritual conversation of substance. If that's you this morning, uh, I'd like to just kind of hit pause on what we're doing here. Uh, could I direct your attention to the back walls if you're on the first level? And if you're up top, it's at the end of your aisles, just kind of look down towards me. You see all those cards? A couple weeks ago, we asked you to fill one of those cards out. And there were nothing crazy it, it simply said, before Jesus, I was blank, but now I am 
blank. These cards were to share your story. What was your life like before you started following Jesus? And how's it changed since then? And we had stories of all kind. I've written some down. Uh, I was alone, but now I'm surrounded. I was addicted, but now I'm free. I was hateful, but now I'm gracious. I was confused, but now I'm ready. Those are our stories. Some of them, sure, are more completed in other parts than others. Some of them still deep in process. But the beautiful thing is, no matter what your story is, we're all being made more and more into people of love by the Spirit of God. And so here's where your mission and those cards go hand in hand. Your story is your greatest tool. As you seek to fulfill the mission of your life about speaking, or speaking about Jesus to other people, your story is your greatest tool. Hey, here's how Jesus changed me. Here's how Jesus took this horribly broken thing in my life and made it whole. Here's how Jesus met me at the lowest point of my life when no one else wanted to be around and my entire world was caving in and somehow he gave me comfort. Your story is your greatest tool, not your brain, not your voice, not your confidence or your social standing or your sphere of influence. Your story that is empowered by the Spirit of God in you. Did you realize when Jesus sent his 12 out to speak and to serve, legitimately all they had to go on was what they had seen Jesus do and what they had heard Jesus say? That's it. They didn't have a college speech course. They didn't have a rigorous theological training. They didn't have all the answers. But they had a story. And so do you. So share your story as you speak and as you serve. Now, if you'll remember Mark's sandwich here, A, B, A, that was really just kind of the first sliver of A. Mark wants to set this groundwork that we can, that we can grow upon, that you are sent to speak and to serve. He wants to make sure that we've got that dialed in before we go anywhere further. But as we go from that place, we will find some nuggets that will be helpful as we're sent out kind of day by day. So we're going to keep looking in chapter 6. Once again, the words will be up, and I'll read the words in white if you will read the words in yellow. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bags, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Can you imagine the reaction that those instructions got? Here's this group of people that Jesus handpicked, said, you, 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 and you, come with me and learn what life in the kingdom is like. And here they are. They had been with Jesus day after day, seen miracle after miracle, heard teaching after teaching, story after story. And when it was finally their turn to, be ro- to rise up and be sent out by Jesus, he says, hey, you're good to go. But all you can take with you, the clothes that you're wearing, and a stick. Come on, Jesus. I, no, no extra clothes? No money? I thought you were on our side here. What, what are we doing? Why are, why are you sending us out with things that we need? Why, why can't we take any extra stuff? Jesus, can I, take, 
can I take my sandwich? It can go back in my pocket, right? You're freaking out if you're the disciples because this is a tall task. And it's easy to think, man, why, why did Jesus care? Why did Jesus care what they had? Does he not want them to have stuff? And the reality is this, Jesus knew the 12 far better than they knew themselves. So he knew that as he was sending them out for the first time, he had to give these instructions for this reason. Your comfort or your concern for comforts can inhibit your mission. Your concern for comforts can inhibit your mission. It's so easy for us, especially living in our area, to start caring so much about the comforts in our life that we put our mission on the back burner. We get so obsessed and zero in on being prepared for our mission that we never actually start our mission. We forget that our story is of value and our greatest tool when we're talking to people about Jesus. We forget that there are countless ways to serve people around us and we just become kind of missionally paralyzed and we don't take the first step. Think about it like this. When I was a kid, uh, I had this bike, and it was just a normal kid bike. I have no clue where we got it, but it was black, black handlebars, black kind of body, and it had training wheels. That's important for the story. The bike had training wheels, and I loved that thing. I would ride that all day if I was allowed to. It was my go-to thing when I was outside. And this, this point in time also coincided with Lance Armstrong winning his seventh Tour de France in a row. I was a kid, and this is also before all the cheating stuff came out, so cut me a little grace here. Um, but every time I turned on ESPN, I remember seeing this yellow jersey and those big Oakley sunglasses, and I was mesmerized. So I zeroed in. I wanted nothing else in the world but to be like Lance Armstrong. So I'm riding my bike more and more. And my parents saw that I was growing and would need a new bike sooner rather than later, so they graciously got me one, and it was yellow, just like Lance's jersey, right? I was obsessed. I was so excited for this bike until my dad told me he would not take the training wheels off the black bike and put it on the yellow bike. He said, if you want to learn, you, you, or if you want to ride it, you got to learn how to ride the bike. I remember at the time being able to like muster up any sort of hatred I could feel and just like shoving it towards him. I was convinced that this was the most evil thing anyone had ever done to anyone in the history of mankind. I was terrified to ride this new bike without any training wheels. And the real reason is this. We, so our driveway, it kind of sloped away from our house. Nothing too crazy, but it was noticeable. And then at the end of the driveway was a hill. Okay, and the hill was steep. Like, it, I grew up in the mountains. It, it, was, it was steep. And at the bottom of the hill, there was a really sharp turn. Okay, really sharp turn. And in my mind, and I guess just the laws of nature, if you didn't make the turn, you're going over the cliff. I don't know how high it was. I was six years old. But it seemed really big and really scary. So I was convinced that if I was to get on the yellow bike without any training wheels and get it going, I would lose all control while I was in the driveway. I would make it all the way to the end of the driveway, make the turn out, start going down the hill, not have enough control to make the sharp turn, and then one thing leads to another, and there I go, E.T. style, off the side of the hill, right? Boom, crashing, me and my new yellow bike never to be seen again. 
It's a little ridiculous, right? Like in reality, the driveway was like 20 yards long. If I was losing control, I would have fallen off well before I got to the road, much less the hill or the turn at the bottom of the hill. But I was so scared of something that maybe could happen in the future that I was refusing to even take the first step. So we don't have to worry if Jesus cares about our needs. We don't have to freak out and wonder if Jesus cares if, uh, if we're cared for as he's sending us out day by day to speak and to serve. However, by saying this to his 12, so by extension us, Jesus is asking you to trust that he will give you what you need. Trust that he will provide what you need for your mission. Where do you need to trust that Jesus will provide in your life? Trust that he'll provide you with a clear mind when you're talking with someone who you know doesn't follow Jesus? Or trust that he will give you opportunities to serve using your gifts and your passions? Or trust that he'll even give you some courage to share your story? In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was teaching on these silly things that we often worry about so much, food, drink, clothes, and he said this. He said, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the righteousness and love of the one who created you. It's easy to seek first training or easy to seek first strength in numbers or some sort of knowledge. But Jesus is challenging us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to us as well. So while he's challenging us to trust that he will provide. Jesus gives us a little glimpse that our missions won't be perfect. Uh, they'll go a little haywire. He says this in verse 11, which is right after the instructions uh, we just read. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus is telling his disciples that their mission won't be perfect. That there will be times when it diverts from the course that you had and it starts over here and I, I have no clue what's going on anymore. And he says, when that does happen, stand up, shake the dust off your sandals as a fresh start and be on your way. And this thought of your mission not being perfect always will actually carry us out of the first block of A and into Story B, you'll notice here that the story staunchly changes. This significantly different story. This is in verse 14, if you're following along in your Bible. I'll have the words up here again. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work within him. So we have a quick cut scene over to Herod. Herod uh, was the name of the guy who ruled the part of the world where Jesus lived. 
And the things that Jesus done, the stories that had followed Jesus, were spreading like wildfire so much that they were reaching the upper levels of government. And these people were saying, it has to be John the Baptist back from the dead to be, to be doing all these things. So a little context on John the Baptist, if you'll remember. He was Jesus' older cousin. Um, and John knew that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the savior of the world. And John was working to prepare the hearts of the people in the area for Jesus. So he was going around preaching that Jesus would come to forgive sins and to give the Holy Spirit to his followers. John was preaching holiness and repentance. John loved Jesus and served Jesus faithfully, but he wasn't Jesus. But John was well known, and he was so well known that one day he found himself actually talking to Herod, the guy in charge of the whole area. And of all things, they were talking about Herod's marriage. See, Herod had married his sister-in-law, Herodias. And John said this to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Seems like relatively straightforward advice. Hey, I'm not sure if the model for a healthy, loving, flourishing marriage is to convince your sister-in-law to divorce your brother so that then she could marry you. It makes sense to me. It made sense to Herod, but Herodias was upset about it. Verse 19 says that she nursed a grudge against John so strong that she wanted him dead. And thankfully, Herod didn't want John dead. Um, so Herod, in a seemingly counterintuitive move, actually put John in prison. But we see if John's kept in prison, he's in a safe environment, he's always guarded, Herod could make sure that Herodias didn't actually kill John behind his back. And Herod put John in prison not to upset his wife or not for anything like that, but Herod wanted John to live because even Herod, a man who was obsessed with power and greed and manipulation and saw nothing in the world but himself, even Herod knew that John was a holy and righteous man. Even Herod knew that John was a righteous and holy man. But then one thing led to another, and Herod had too much to drink at his birthday party, and Herodias still had this plan to have John killed. And so she, she put together this little scheme, and it worked. Herod drunkenly gave the orders to have John killed, and his head was brought to Herodias on a platter. Slight change of pace, Mark. Very confusing. How do you go from this story, this kind of motivational story of Jesus sending out his followers to speak and to serve, and then you're going to mash it up against this story full of greed and manipulation and hatred and anger and all those awful things? Why? Surely you have to know more stories than this. Is this the best one you could do? But Mark chose this story for this reason. As you're sent to speak and to serve, you will encounter hardship. Following Jesus isn't easy. The mission of your life is not always going to be a walk in the park. Relationships are hard. People disappoint. You will make mistakes. 
People won't accept or want to listen to the story that you have to tell or want you to serve them in some kind of way. So Mark tells us this story to let us in on the reality of when it goes wrong, you're in good company. When it goes wrong, you're in good company. When your mission goes haywire, when you get hurt, mess up, feel like you've missed an opportunity, whatever it is, you share a story. You have a similar story to John the Baptist, a righteous and holy man. Because even John had his troubles. I hope yours are way different than his, obviously. But he had them. So whatever it is, your spouse keeps refusing to come to church with you, the thing you've been praying for, for that heart to change in that person, they just don't want to change. You can't find an area somewhere to serve using your gifts and your talents and your passions. Whatever it is, when things go wrong, you're in good company. We're all here together. And this thought of being together and all in good company carries us out of story B and back into story A for the wrap-up. By this time, the 12 disciples had returned to Jesus. Verse 30 says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. They came back. And I would just, I just imagine they're just berating Jesus with stories. Hey, Jesus, I, I talked to this one lady and I told her how you changed my entire identity. Oh, hey, Jesus, I met this older man who had no family and I was able to cook for him and we shared a beautiful meal. Jesus, I went to this one place and no one wanted anything to do with me. So I had to get out of there quickly and go somewhere else. So as they're telling story after story and reminiscing and asking Jesus if they did this right and did this right, something happens. It throws a wrench in the whole plan. Verse 31 says this. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. People were flooding in to see Jesus up close as a result of the speaking and serving that these guys did. And you would think that's exactly what would be wanted, right? Here are all these people, oh, they're coming from this area and this area and this area. Well, there's more speaking and there's more serving to do. Come on, boys, let's go. But once again, like he so often does, Jesus rewrites our priorities because he knows that right then, what those 12 need is to be with him. Because after you go out day by day, Jesus always invites you back. Yeah, you're sent to speak and to serve. And yes, every time you leave your house, it is an opportunity for you to share the story of how Jesus changed your life and to meet needs of those around you. At the end of the day, after all that's said and done, Jesus will always invite you back to himself for the purpose of restoring your soul. You can't drink out of an empty cup. 
You need somewhere to seek shelter from the storm. You need to be reminded day in, day out why you were sent to speak and serve in the first place. And that's because Jesus, who all things were created through and for, Jesus, who the grave couldn't hold, Jesus, who has the power to change your life completely, loves you. Despite all your mess-ups, despite all your striving, trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and succeeding, and then failing some more, despite everything, Jesus loves you and wants to invite you back to himself, which leads us to our communion time this morning. So if you got, uh, if you got your elements, please get them out. We do this every week to remind us of the reality that Jesus always invites us back to himself. And we know this because that's exactly what this means. See, by leaving heaven and coming to earth to live a life among us, Jesus was doing the work that could one day let us have a relationship with him. Give us the groundwork to be called back on. And by dying and not being held down by the grave, he did just that. And you see, I could finish this sandwich right here and it would carry me through. I would not be hungry. I would have energy for, I don't know, an hour and a half maybe. And then I'd have to eat again. There'd be another little time and then I'd have to eat again. There'd be another little time and I'd have to eat again. It's not enough to sustain me. And my friends, if you're trying to sustain your mission with anything else other than the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus, it will always leave you coming back for more. It will never be enough. It will always have you grasping at this and grasping at that. But the ironic thing is this little thing right here is consistently enough to sustain, yes, your mission, yeah, sure, as you speak and serve, but sustain you, sustain your life. So right now, uh, please take the bread on your own, and I'll pray, and we'll take the juice together. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.